Advent series. This is the fourth Sunday of the month. This is the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, and we are, we are coming to the end, and we're going to look at uh, Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, as Emmanuel, God with us. We've already looked at uh, that eternal word, Jesus as the eternal word, uh, the light of the world. We've looked uh, at Jesus as the seed of the woman, the second Adam who comes and perfectly represents us. We've looked at Jesus as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords last week. And so this week we're going to look at Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, with his people. With that, I want us to turn to two texts. First, we'll look at a text from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. And then we'll look at a text, the, the, the birth narrative found in the Gospel of Matthew. So first we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and then Matthew 1, 18 to 25. It's printed for you. Uh, in your bulletins. This is God's word. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary man that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew 1, 18-25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would open our hearts once again to receive your word. We thank you for it. Uh, By your Holy Spirit, impress it into our hearts and press it out into our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is here. It's upon us. Are you kids ready? I'm sure. I'm sure you are. Parents, are you ready? Ready or not? (laughs) Um, There is actually something I really love about the bustle of preparation, right? It's not fun, obviously, to fight crowds and parking places and all of that, but there there is something about the buzz, about the preparation, about the energy, the work, about doing all the things necessary to get ready. There's a certain, I don't know, there's something about all the tasks. And I'm not someone who's like, give me a big list of tasks. It's not my, like, I, 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 lists generally overwhelm me. But I really enjoy this time of year. I enjoy the preparation. Yet there is a strange inverse relationship with the time immediately following Christmas, right? So if there's energy and excitement and preparation and there's this anticipation all beforehand, 
The inverse is right afterward, after the Christmas celebration. Um, it's, not, it's not that I dislike that downtime, you know, when all the kids are occupied with their toys and you've just had a great meal and you're kind of relaxed. But there is a certain melancholy to it, isn't there? A certain longing or ache that creeps in. Maybe, maybe you'd even call it like a, a nagging feeling that says, is this it? Is this all? Before you call me Grinch, maybe you're thinking, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty, I don't know, depressing thought right before Christmas. We're excited. Are you, guys, are you kids excited? Yes, we're excited for Christmas. You're a mean one. Well, hear me out, okay? I am not saying or suggesting that my new toys that I get, that I'm not excited about those things, and that my uh, inner eight-year-old, because that's really what I am, Owen, I'm an inner eight-year-old, at Christmas anyway, doesn't come out and get really excited on Christmas morning and even afterward with all the things. All of it is great. That's not, it's not the, it's not the, how do you put it? It's not that things don't measure up or meet the expectation. I mean, maybe that's a piece of it, but that's not the feeling that I'm getting out, getting at. It's something else. And really, you could fit any exciting life moment into here, whether it's a birthday, whether it's a great getaway vacation, whatever it is. There's something exhilarating about the lead-up, and there's something strangely sad that comes in its wake. Have you? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. It could be just me. Maybe I'm a Grinch. Debbie Downer, two days before Christmas. Rob, you're really going to talk like this? But I have a suspicion that I'm not alone. And I believe at issue is more than the usual letdown and exhaustion that comes from exertion, right? Like there is a physical aspect to it. Um, I think it's because we're all also carrying a bunch of weights, things on us, sorrows, fears, anxieties, griefs, guilt, shame. And in those moments of busyness, you know, the beforehand stuff, it's great. Why? Because you're so laser focused on all the stuff you have to get done that all that weight seems to be missing. It doesn't seem to be there because, well, you've got to get this, you've got to go to the store, you've got to buy this, you've got to think about these things, you've got to make food, you've got to clean, you've got to... Whatever it is you're doing. Who doesn't like to busy themselves, right? And maybe your thing isn't all those tasks. Maybe your thing is busying yourself in some other way. But when, at the end of it all, we're sitting there in our homes with no job to go to, no immediate tasks to do, I don't have to manage the children because they're busy with their stuff, all that weight comes right back on, doesn't it? And here, it's where the birth of Jesus matters. 
It's all too easy for the words of what we read, read this morning to sound sentimental, right? To include them in this moment of Christmas celebration as part of the ambiance of Christmas experience. We go to church. We have the story read to us. We're reminded of the birth of Jesus. It's kind of like the ambiance or the picture, but it isn't that. This story is about is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And those words are no mere sentiment. God is with us. These are words of hope for people under the weight of the world. God is with us. These are words of relief and joy. God is with us. These are words of salvation. And I want to explore this significance that God is with us in three ways. First, God is with us when we don't even realize it. What a a glorious thought. God is with us even when things seem hopeless. And finally, God is with us despite us. God is with us despite us. So first, God is with us even when we don't realize it. It is, in some ways, a strange thing that Matthew would begin the account of the Messiah here, where he does what we just read. It begins with a domestic problem, right? That's a strange way. If you were going to tell a glorious, grand narrative of the coming of the Son of God, would you start with this little domestic issue Joseph's having, this conundrum? It's the kind that occasionally comes across a pastor's desk. Someone is pregnant, not by their husband. In fact, it happened before they'd even consummated the wedding, so something happened, right? This is, this is, this is the stuff of common human stuff. This is life. Just as an aside, betrothal here, Joseph was betrothed to Mary, was more than an engagement to be married. Uh, they, they were legally bound to one another, yet they hadn't had their wedding feast and they had not consummated their marriage. So there were pieces left undone, but they were nevertheless legally bound to each other. It's weightier than an engagement that we would consider here. Now, I don't know if you, if you were Matthew, you might think, would I, would I have picked to start here? I think I would have picked when Mary... And Joseph were in Bethlehem, right? Mary is great with child. They're in Bethlehem. You can still talk about the virgin birth and everything, but you just kind of leave out this this little domestic stuff. Leave out the gory details about how Joseph was wrestling wrestling with what to do um, about the Mary. Maybe the details seemed... And maybe they seem to you here even now as we sort of focus in on them a bit unseemly. Yet Matthew didn't view them as unseemly. Rather, they highlighted the unexpected reality that Mary was with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph didn't know this, right? Mary did, but Joseph didn't. Maybe she had tried to tell him, right? She had gone to visit her her cousin Elizabeth and spent about three months there. When she comes back, it's getting about the time when you start to notice these things. Maybe she said something to Joseph. I know what it looks like, right? 
That would be a very hard conversation. But it's not what you think. I don't know. We aren't told those details. We don't know what Joseph knew or didn't know. Either way, Joseph, somewhat understandably, didn't realize what was going on. He just didn't get it. You see, he was living life. He was carrying a weight. He was anguished by what to do. After all, he's described here as a just man, unwilling to put Mary to shame. He didn't want to see her publicly chastised or publicly shamed. But you really can't hide a baby. Of course, in his mind, maybe he was thinking, really, the best solution, the only solution, I could divorce her quietly. Or I could just get on with the marriage. I could carry that shame upon himself. But he didn't, he didn't say that. He, well, all we're left with here is that he was puzzling as, of what to do. He could have shared the shame with Mary. He could have tried to cover the shame a little bit. He wasn't sure. He was wrestling. He was wondering how in the world all this came to be. Wondering, no, no doubt, who was this other man, right? And even if Mary had mentioned it being by the Holy Spirit, that would have been really hard for Joseph too. Mary, you're going to cover this guy with blasphemy? Can you, can you kind of get into the head of Joseph just a little bit? You see, he didn't realize, he didn't understand. All he knew was the immense weight of the situation. Mary's life, the baby's life, and his life were all changed forever. Now, he didn't get it. They, they certainly were, right? They certainly absolutely were, but he was thinking in the negative. And he was afraid. Without knowledge that this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, this account of Joseph and Mary becomes a fairly common and gritty story of the brokenness of this world. A story of shame, a story of fear, a story of guilt, a story of grief. And this is why I think Matthew starts here. Because in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the mess of life, in the midst of the fear, shame, and grief, even when we can't see him or recognize him, God is with us. God is present. While Joseph was carrying the weight, trying to figure out what to do, trying to fix the problem, because that's what guys do, right? I don't know, I may be gender stereotyping a little bit, but uh, I know it's true in my household. I, there's a problem. I just want to fix it. And when I can't fix it, oh, it crushes me. But in the midst of that moment, when... He's there wondering, worrying. God was there. And isn't that the way of it when we think God is absent? Uh, we don't see Him in the ways we expect to see Him. We cry out, where are you, God? Where, what are you about? Why are you not answering my prayers? What's going on? Why did you abandon me? Now I've got to figure this mess out on my own, and I need to take matters into my own hand. Am I the only one that does this?
But he says in his word that his steadfast love endures forever. That his mercies are new every morning. That he never leaves us or forsakes us. And this is the story of Christmas. God with us. Even in the midst of the storm of life, when all we see is the driving rain and all we hear is the wind howling through the trees, God is with us. God does not abandon his people. Even if that means being made like us, being born in our image, like man, into our world. So the Lord puts a halt to Joseph's plans and he visits him, right? Joseph was doing what we do. He was checking off the list. Okay, now what do I do? Okay, I'm going to do this. And the Lord says, nope, wait a minute. And usually when an angel comes to visit, they say what? Do not be afraid, right? Why? Well, because people don't get visited by angels. It's no different for them as it was for us. But notice the words here in Matthew. The angel here doesn't say just generally, don't be afraid. Like he did with uh, you know, the, 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 the heavenly host of the, that sang out in the, uh, the fields of Bethlehem. But he says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. God is here. This baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. God is with you, present, even in the midst of what you see as a complete mess of life. In fact, even the mess isn't what you thought, Joseph. Don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. And yes, there will be shame involved in that. There will be shame for her as well, because... You're pregnant before your wedding day, and nobody's going to understand. People won't believe you. But it is a small thing to bear that shame, knowing that the baby that was to be born was Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us even when we don't realize it. Secondly, God is with us when things seem hopeless. Now, you may be asking yourself, Rob, what you just sort of described with Joseph was kind of hopeless. Um, yes, but it's not as bleak as what I'm about to describe. Okay, So bear with me just a second. We, we looked at an Old Testament passage. Um, that was quoted by the angel when the angel visited Joseph. Right. So there's this uh, you'll see it here in verses 22 uh, and 23 that the angel says to Joseph, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the angel was quoting from the prophet Isaiah, and we read a bit of that prophet Isaiah this morning. And what's interesting is that the angel seems to be ripping the words of Isaiah a little bit out of context, right? Uh, maybe you don't realize that, but let me give you a little bit of the context, and then you'll think, okay, how do these two things connect? Um, the context of the original prophecy 
as a somewhat foreign situation to the Mary and Joseph situation. In Isaiah's time, first of all, it was almost a millennia earlier. It was about 800 or so years prior, maybe a little less. Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. The nation of Israel has been split in two some generations before that. And ever since they've been at war, you had a southern kingdom, Judah. You had a northern kingdom of Israel, ten in tribes and two tribes. And they, they were kind of at odds with one another at various times, more so or less so. But at this point, Israel was knocking at the door. They had, they had uh, allied themselves with one of their, both of their sworn enemies, Syria, Damascus, the, the city, and had said, we're going to go and we're going to attack Judah and we're going to wipe Judah off the face of the earth. Ahaz is in Judah in the southern kingdom with its capital being Jerusalem. And he's saying to the Lord, or he doesn't really actually seek the Lord's advice. The Lord gives him advice through the prophet Isaiah. Um, but here he was in this desperate situation, about to be destroyed, about to be crushed. And this is what it says concerning Ahaz in chapter 7, a few verses earlier than what we read. In verse 2 it says, When the house of David was told, Syria in league with Ephraim, now those words Syria in league with Ephraim is just to say Syria and the northern kingdom, and they're in league together. It says the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now, just the other day, we had a windstorm here. I don't know if any of you were awake for it, but it was, I don't know, about a week ago or so. And I remember it vividly because uh, I didn't sleep that night, partly because of the wind. And so I went downstairs on our couch and we have this big glass sliding door and I was watching the trees shake and I was listening to the howling wind and I was thinking to myself, that dead tree could fall on me. Just like that. Um, sure enough, I woke up in the morning and half the tree was gone. I thought, Ooh, the Lord is good. He protected me that most of the tree did not fall or the, mostly fell the right way. But as I was thinking about that wind blowing, and I was thinking about the power of the wind, I was thinking Ahaz was shook. He was in a place of hopelessness. He didn't have the strength to defend himself against his neighbors. Things seemed utterly hopeless to Ahaz. Have you been there? It's not just the normal weight of the world that you carry. But you're no longer carrying the weight, but the weight is actually crushing you down. And you think, I can't bear this. I can't. I can't do it anymore. I can't carry this weight. That's how Ahaz felt. And so Isaiah declared to Ahaz, Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. In other words, these two kingdoms will not destroy you, Ahaz. I am here. Trust me. Ahaz didn't believe it. He didn't believe God could do that. He couldn't believe it. So the Lord gave him a sign. He said, a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son and she would give him the name Emmanuel. Why? God with us. God was saying... If you don't believe my words that I'll come down and then I'll have to come down into the world that you're in, in the flesh, and show you I am here. 
I'm in your midst. I'm with you. As an aside, even though Ahaz still didn't believe, he ended up taking matters into his own hands. And though the Lord actually did faithfully preserve Ahaz at that time, Ahaz lost hope in God. And that's the nature of hopelessness. Hopelessness is unbelief. And I think it's a form of unbelief that we all know from time to time. It's the kind of unbelief that surfaces in the crucible of suffering. And it's the kind of unbelief that comes to light when the false foundations of our own making are shaken when our pride and our self-assurance is stripped away. And we ask, is there any hope? But it's into this world of despair and unbelief and hopelessness that God says, I am with you. And this is where I want to conclude. God is with us despite us. This promised child is given two names here in our text. Now, just as an aside, Jesus has many names, right? He is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of Man. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Son of God. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Rock of our salvation. He is the Chief Cornerstone. He is the High Priest. He is the Lamb who is slain. He is the Great I Am. He is the Light of the World. He is the Eternal Word. And He is the Resurrection and the Life. But here in our text it says... He is Emmanuel. And he is Jesus. He's Emmanuel. And he is Jesus. He is God with us. And he is with us to save us. Friends, it's easy to think that the world is crushing you. All your cares and concerns are crushing you. When you're sitting there with your thoughts after Christmas and considering the mess of life, the brokenness of relationships, when you're considering all your fears and your guilt and your shame and you feel the weight of your sin heavy upon you, when it feels like winter and never Christmas, as one author said, remember Christ has come. He came into a world without hope that was being crushed by sin and overwhelmed by grief and despair. And he came to die to take that guilt, that weight, that shame, and nail it to a cross. Friends, there's hope. It's not wrapped up with a bow. It's found stripped, beaten, mocked, and crucified. It's found in Emmanuel, God with us, who saves us from our sin.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we're prone towards unbelief, towards hopelessness. Towards trying to fix all the stuff on our own strength to, to be our own gods. And we realized what a failure we are at that. And so, Lord, we come before you and cry out to you, a God who is present, who is with us, who came to earth to protect us, to save us, to shepherd us, to redeem us. And you came at the cost of the cross. And so we give you all praise and glory and honor and thanks. Lord, help us even in this Christmas time as we celebrate to remember you're with us. You never leave us and you never forsake us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.